This week, ahead of the Midlands Machinery Show, we visit one dealer to see how trade has been so far this year. We've had a record year in terms of sales on the JCB. We've had a record year. Things are always busy. We've detailed weather later as well, and it's the weather that's helping our beet farmers, as uh, British Sugar's Nick Morris will report soon. The weather remains settled, very little rain and generally mild, and uh, looking at the garden, I might even cut the grass this weekend. So Do mine if you want. (laughs) (laughs) The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It is the Midlands Machinery Show this coming Wednesday and Thursday, once again at the Newark Showground, the third year for an event that just keeps on growing. Uh, a number of products will be launched and uh, experts on hand as well, and uh, I'll be there uh, speaking with them, bringing you some of the highlights from it next Sunday on the programme. This week, though, ahead of the event, we thought we'd look at machinery in a little more detail, see how business is faring at the moment. Technology, of course, getting ever more complicated, and someone who's seen a lot of changes is Andrew Waterson, JCB technician at G&J Peck Limited. He's been there for 16 years now, 16 years in which a lot has indeed changed. Yes, 16 years at Peck, started as an apprentice, um, went to Receive College in Nantwich, Cheshire, did an agricultural apprenticeship in land-based vehicle technology for two years, um, worked on a variety of machines from combine harvesters to balers, but mainly JCB, mm. fast tracks, load alls, loading shovels, um, and learnt my trade that way, basically. Yeah. A lot's changed over that 16 years. Yes, a lot's changed, yes. Um, technology's moved on massively, um, continues to move on year by year, um, and me as a technician, I have to keep up with that technology. Um, which sometimes means doing stuff at home, researching things. Um, so yes, technology is a big part of our job nowadays, yeah. As I said at the beginning, we live in a more complicated world, don't we? And that technology keeps changing and more and more technology is coming in. I suppose you've got to keep on top of all that. got to keep on top of it all. Uh, the technology is, in one way, is um, a good thing for the customer. Um, for example, JSB do a live link so that the customer can monitor his machine um, which is good for his insurance. He can see if people are going to steal it or whatever. Um, the other, the, the the downside of the technology is that it's expensive to fix. The components are expensive, and diagnostics, which is the biggest part of my job now, can take a long time to find. Whereas in the old days, it was just you know basic components, basic systems. So yes, definitely the technology has moved on massively, um, which has helped in one respect. When it's working, the customer's got a fantastic machine. But when it's broke down, the pressure's on me and my dealership. I'm a storeman and I'm a service manager to get the machine up and running ASAP, basically. Mm. Yeah. Time, time is of the essence, isn't it? Time is of the essence. Time is money uh, for us as well. We have guidelines from our manufacturers, our franchises, that we are expected to meet. The customer's bought <clears throat> a premium product and expects premium backup service from myself, my service manager, the salesman and the storeman to give him the overall package, what he's paid for, you know. Uh, the JSB load all is the premium telehandler. So when he buys that telehandler, he expects premium customer backup, basically, yeah. We talk a lot on the programme about, you know, the harvest is over, that was harvest 2017. For you, the harvest is all year round, really, isn't it? Yes, the harvest is all year round, yes. Uh, we don't. We have, obviously, a peak time in the traditional harvest, as we call it, but we've got maize being cut most of the year round, Sugar beet is a five to six month period, so we're using the JSB Telehandler as an example, is used on every farm all year round, most commonly used machine. 
the fast tracks are used all year round. Loading shovels now are used all year round. Mm. So yes, it goes from January to December, peaks in the traditional harvest, but harvest never ends really, mm. if in the truth, yeah. And I guess pressure never ends as well. What, what kind of pressures are you under? Well, we're under pressure from the customers to get the machine fixed first time. Mm-hmm. So the first time fix is critical. The customer picks the phone up, rings the service manager. Can you fix my machine? He puts the phone down, gets on with his day, expects me or anybody else to come out and fix that machine first time, if possible. So the pressure's on to get the machine fixed, but first and foremost, diagnose the faults. Like I've already said, complicated equipment. We need to diagnose and pinpoint the fault. Have we got the part in stock is the next problem. Have the manufacturers got the part on their stock? That's the next problem. Um, so the pressure can come from, have we got the parts? Has the manufacturer got the parts? Um, and then going back, get the machine working. And often it can be, it's usually on site. So if it's on site, have you got access to electric? Have you got access to air, et cetera, et cetera. So the pressure from us is, do we have the right equipment on our vans to do the job? Do we have the right diagnostics tools? And do we have the right knowledge? Have we got the knowledge to fix these machines that, in some respects, more complicated than a modern car, you know, with the hydraulics and the electronics and emissionized engines and powertrains. They're very complex, yeah. Now, we're sat here at Pex at the moment. How is business at the minute? What kind of year you had? We've had a record year in terms of sales on the JCB and their other franchises, uh, so C&H, Crown, Amazon. We've had a record year. Um, things are always busy. Uh, we're lulling down a little bit, but we've got plenty of work to, to catch up from previous that we haven't got caught up on um so yeah th- things are looking up we're uh, we're in a good place pex at the moment we've got some good people here we've got a good team around us particularly at mayor and depot we all get on really well and um we're all very passionate about the job we do we want to deliver good service and have a good relationship with the customer not just a work relationship an actual friendship it would be the best best way to describe it you know a friendship with that customer is very important to us that they they trust us and we can trust them so yeah things at pex are good at the moment yeah and it feeds into the ethos of much of agriculture isn't it you know it is about that passion people are doing it because they love doing it not necessarily because there's a lot of money definitely hit the nail on the head yeah uh we're all very passionate at pex um and a lot of the customers we go to are very passionate about agriculture proud to be in lincolnshire um yeah, passion's a big part because the truth be known, if you were doing it just for the money, you you would probably look elsewhere. Um, but once you get involved in agriculture, if it's my side as a technician or a farmer or a farm labourer or an agronomist, the bug gets you. And it's, um, yeah, I, I take a lot of pride in what I do, yeah, definitely. And we often forget there's long hours in this job, isn't there? You know, it's not just, I mean, we talk obviously at harvest time and <clears throat> working around the clock and, and out in the field, but actually long hours for you as well here? Yes, long hours for us. So basically, as long as the customer's working his hours, or her hours, I should say, uh, we have to be there mm-hmm. to back them up if needed. So if we get a phone call at home, we have to leave what we're doing and go out. Um, but there's other stuff. We have a lot of paperwork we have to get through, a lot of stuff we have to do with the computers, um, all that sort of stuff that the customer would never see. You know, we go out on site, fix the machine, come back, and then we have to get our paperwork up to speed, get all that sort of, sort of stuff done. Um, and then a lot of us do stuff in our own time, you know, research new technologies or the latest products from the manufacturers. So that sort of stuff as well to do, yeah. 
And we going back to where we started, you know, 16 years you've been here. What do you think has been the biggest change? What has been the biggest thing to change since, since you started when you first walked through those doors? Well, I think we've hit on it before. The biggest change would be technology mm-hmm. and, and the speed at which technology has developed. When I first started a, a bog standard JCB load all didn't change for five years, the technologies. And now it's every year something's changing drastically. And some of that is due to uh, EU regulations, emissionized engines, um, something called EN15000, which prevents the teleander lifting up and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the biggest change I would say would be technology and how fast it's moved and how we've moved into more of a diagnostics role as uh, as opposed to a fitter we're now a technician so that's the biggest change i've seen you finally where, where do you think we'll be in 16 years time well, that's very interesting that <laughs> is very very interesting um in terms of technology i think we'll probably be on to hybrids hybrid power systems um you could maybe say driverless tractors i know they are in america testing I'm not so sure about that. Um, certainly from my point of view, I definitely think I'll be fixing more tractors sat at a desk with a computer uh, mo- and, and the machine getting fixed mobile, you know. Mm. Um, but it's scary, you know, where will we be in 16 years? Um, definitely be hybrids, like I say, maybe driverless. Um, yeah, I might even work from home. Never so, Interesting but, time. Yeah, but I think you'll always need somebody on the spanners, definitely. You'll need somebody on the side, for sure, but I think, um, yeah, and I think probably in 16 years, the machines will be even more expensive to run and buy than they already are, so, yeah. The times, they are a-changing. Fascinating insight there from Andrew Waterson at G&J Peck at Merrim Le Fen. And you can hear even more of my chat with Andrew on our podcast of the programme. That's online from tomorrow. Back to this week's programme, though. On to uh, Grey News. Chris Spratt is back from Open Field. Morning, Chris. Morning, Sean. What's happening with Open Field? Um, well, last week I mentioned about the strong demand in the, the north of England for feed wheat, and fundamentally that's still the case. But it just shows to go how fickle the market can be when earlier on in the week the ethanol plant at Hull announced it would close early for maintenance. And uh, a rider to that was that they would closely market conditions ahead of the plant restarting production. That could uh, potentially depend on when they reopen, influence the market going forward. They cited the the recent fall in bioethanol prices and a lack of a rollout framework for the E10 ethanol mandate from the UK government. Uh, the UK is, is currently, as I understand it, running on 5% inclusion in, in our road f- fuels of, of, of biofuels. Uh, E5 to E10 uh, is the next step. Um, obviously an alcohol-based low-carbon fuel produced from... Uh, fermentation of crops basically that includes sugarcane from different parts of the world various grains but in this country wheat um, and that's primarily what the plant at Hull and the one at the Teesside produces uh, and last year that represented a combined requirement of about one and a quarter million tons of wheat uh, so that's an important part of the UK consumption balance sheet uh, and as we've talked about before, Sean, things are tight this season. And, you know, uh, this stop-start, if that's what we get, could influence uh, that market uh, price as we go throughout the season. Otherwise, the market was rather lacklustre. There's been a steady flow of grains coming to the market, barley, wheat, etc., a um, bit of oilseed rape, growers feeling like they want to get a little bit more of crop placed uh, pre-Christmas. If we have a quick look at prices, feed wheat was slightly easier on the week. X farm December 138 to 141, with May at 143 to 146. Milling wheat premium still languishing around about the £10 mark for full spec, less, uh, less allowances. Uh, 
just a bit further forward, feed wheat X farm, new crop for November uh, 18, 140 to 142. Old crop feed barley, 122 to 125 for November, with May 125 to 128. Spring barley, still useful premium, still round about the £30, but really just have a word with your open field farm trader. Uh, you really do need to start getting a bespoke price on these barleys now as we get uh, through the season, really relating to your area, quality and variety. All seed rate, largely unchanged again, 320 to 323 for Jan, plus a pound a month. Quick word on milling oats, uh, we don't talk about those too often, but uh, they're valued 122 to 128 for winters, basis 50 kilo uh, milling wheat specification with springs valued at £5 less. Uh, reason for the £5 discount for springs is, well, the mills do get better performance out of winters and are very keen to push those uh, going forward, hence the price differential. And then finally, beans, 143 to 146x farm. And that market has been under pressure because of the uh, sheer volume of beans out there that normally would have made human consumption that this year have made feed. And so it is starting getting difficult to place those. Better quality human consumption varieties, not that there's a lot out there, 175 to 180. Uh, But now consumers really wanting to see samples before they'll bid on approved lots. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Chris Spratt from Open Field. Thanks, Sean. From Grain to Beet and our fortnightly catch-up with Nick Morris from British Sugar. Morning, Sean. What's uh, what's happening with the uh, beet campaign? Right, OK. So uh, we're now 66 days into campaign, so that's roughly uh, what we expect to be around a third of the way through now. It has to be said that someone must be looking over us at the moment because the weather remains settled, very little rain and generally mild, and uh, looking at the garden, I might even cut the grass this weekend. So you can do mine if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lifting conditions uh, as a result of that are, are good, uh, and dirt tear uh, remains low at around 5%. Uh, of course, nothing's ever perfect in farming, so while soil conditions are as dry as they are, Uh, It's really important just to uh, watch harvester losses in these dry conditions. The the dry soil can lead to an increased level of root breakage, which is a significant uh, part in yield recovery. So uh, as such, these operators will be making sure that they've uh, set their lifting mechanism a little bit deeper, reducing forward speed, and they'll slow the turbines down just to make sure we're doing as little damage as possible to the crop before it gets delivered to, to us and ultimately paid for. So uh, having said all that, uh, and as I have said before, there's still a long way to go uh, this campaign as we will be running well into March. So uh, we uh, almost keep our fingers crossed that Mother Nature continues to be kind to us. Factory throughput has been uh, fantastic of late. We're now averaging 9,500 tonnes a day for the campaign. That's up 300 tonnes since my last report. Uh, And that's basically after another two weeks of uh, exceeding 10,000 tonnes a day pretty much every day. So couldn't be happier with uh, the factory throughput, uh, which is really important in helping us manage this uh, this big campaign. Beet supply remains plentiful, plenty of stock on farm as harvesters uh, are really now starting to build up a little bit of breathing space in front of uh, lorry movements. And it's also quite usual at this time of year. Uh, when we get uh, into the autumn, that growers begin to lift some crops to store for a number of weeks until there's space in their haulage group to get it delivered to our factory. And that's generally just to uh, get the crop out of the ground, free the land up to get the uh, the first autumn uh, cereal sown. Sugar content uh, has continued to build. I actually thought that peaked uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it's actually built back up again now and seems to have plateaued at around 17.8%. 
The average for the campaign is uh, up to 17.4, and that's, that's up by 0.1 since uh, I reported two weeks ago. So probably see that go up a little bit more, but but not too much. We've now got 84 contracts that have finished, uh, and they have averaged just over 70 tonnes a hectare, and that's up by a tonne a hectare uh, in the last two weeks. And I continue uh, to see that increasing uh, as uh, as we go over the next few weeks. Onto the crop, uh, fairly disease uh, such as Socospora and rust continues to progress in crops. These warm and dry conditions have really been quite conducive for their development. And um, they they will have an impact on yield where they're uh, abundant in a crop. So it's really important to assess crops that are left to deliver. And all things being equal, the crops with the healthiest canopy should be left uh, to grow on until last because they will have the greatest yield potential compared to crops which are heavily infested with Socospora or, or rust. Root rots, uh, we are starting to see a prevalence of uh, root rots in some crops, uh, particularly violet root rot. It can be seen, although it's a um, uh, a rot which affects the, the, the root itself and therefore uh, in, in the soil surface, the symptoms are also normally um, evident on top of the crop. So really important that although, of course, we think we've shut the gate on, uh, on agronomy and crop inspections by this time, that that actually continues and crops are inspected and any potential problem areas identified. At this stage, if they're identified now, harvested and delivered straight to us, it won't be a problem at all. We can get it processed and um, as long as it's uh, not sat on the field side for a long time. So that's uh, that's it. That's all from me. All right, Nick. Thank you. Have a uh, have a good time in the garden. Thanks very much. <laughs> Get that grass cut. Cheers, Sean. It's hard to believe, but it's just five weeks until Christmas Eve. So uh, a busy time for potatoes. Let's get an update from Colin Jackson at PJP. Yeah, morning, Sean. Oh dear me, is it really five weeks? <laughs> um, yeah. We don't find quite the run-up to Christmas that we used to get in the uh, in the potato trade. I mean, it used to be absolutely mayhem on the run-up to Christmas, and it's not quite that. You know, there is still always good supermarket sales on the run-up to Christmas, and they always go on promotion. So, so yes, but it does tend to be really uh, the final week when things really kick off as far as it goes. So, um, so the trade itself is still relatively slow at the moment, um, but we are looking forward to hopefully getting a, a bit of a seasonal rush coming in. Mm. And how, how are things generally? Generally, things are quite slow. Um, there was a bit of a carryover in last season, so that's meant that we've sort of been on the back foot really from the start of this season. Um, so uh, yields have been very good um, all the way around, um, particularly on this, this eastern side. And uh, product in store is looking in pretty good condition. There is a bit of breakdown in store, so there is the potential that after Christmas and certainly going into the spring, I think quality is going to be sought after, and we could see some increases in prices um, for for top quality products. Um, but certainly, um, there's a there's a, a mountain of ordinary quality potatoes out there which will be difficult to uh, to get all cleared out in the season. And the dry conditions at the moment, are they having an effect? Not particularly. We've now seen everything really is in store now. Mm. Um, It has had an effect because it's meant that the final stuff has all come out of the ground in pretty good condition and is in store. Um, So, yes, it's had an effect, but also really the the, the wrong effect. Um, As I say, everything's in store now, um, and uh, that was the final hope. 
for one or two people is that if stuff got uh, left in the ground, um, it would have meant a bit of a shortage. But uh, we're not going to see that scenario now. No, and obviously, if it's come out dry, that that saves on drying in the in the store as well, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah. Well, it certainly means they've come out in good condition yeah. and, and less likely to break down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about prices at the moment? Prices are very much all over the place. Um, there are prices down at, you know, from about £40 a tonne um, for sort of poorer quality going for peeling and that kind of thing, um, going up to sort of prices well over £100 a tonne for the best product, um, packing uh, King Edward, for instance, are over £100 a tonne now and they've gone up slightly on the run-up to Christmas, people trying to secure the best supplies. Um, but we're certainly seeing values dramatically down to what we've seen over this last couple of seasons um you know and uh, i would have said that the average price is somewhere in the region of uh, 60 to 80 pounds a ton all right well colin we'll catch you just before christmas um for one final time this year a special mention i think this morning too is it finley yes that's right finley who uh, doesn't believe i speak to you there we it. go you see finley me and your dad we go back years <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Colin. Thanks a lot. Colin Jackson from PJP. As Nick mentioned earlier, the weather is being kind to us at the moment, especially for those of you uh, working outdoors. Among them, our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Yes, good morning, Sean. Um, We had quite a significant frost going into Friday morning. We were minus 3.6 at home. I know there were people who were closer to minus 5 on the walls. Um, And that'll do a lot of good. It'll start to hold back this disease, particularly things like the powdery mildew. And the brown rust, which is just starting to show in some of these very forward, frothy, uh, early drilled crops of wheat that were put in on the non-black grassland, this will start to hold that back. And as we've said before, it is very rarely worthwhile spending your money on controlling mildew in the autumn on a winter wheat crop. The leaves it tends to be on are right down at the bottom of the crop. They're going to die off over the winter anyway. They're not going to do that plant an awful lot of damage. The new growth and the, the top of these thick canopies is pretty clean. There's very little disease on it. So... I personally would not consider wasting my grower's money by putting a fungicide on for mildew in wheat at this time of year. Winter barley can be slightly different. You can get more of a return, particularly if you're absolutely ram full of mildew because it can do a lot of damage in barley. So just assess these things. Have a look at it. Speak to your agronomist. Look at the pros and cons. And for goodness sake, pick a legal product. Make sure you've got autumn clearance for its use and there are very few that have that on the label so speak to your agronomist and make sure you stay legal so why we're staying with winter wheat some people will tell you that this was cold enough last night the minus three and a half to kill aphids it isn't you need temperatures of minus seven minus eight in order to kill aphids so if you believe your byd threat has now gone because you've had a frost it hasn't if you're finding bird cherry oat aphid grain aphid rose grain aphid out there in the field these are the aphids that carry the virus the bydv in their saliva so they're the ones you need to control. The reason it spreads around and the foci get bigger in the late spring and early summer is because you then get winged aphids moving in. They move from plant to plant and they're feeding on the, the plants themselves but picking the virus up if it's already in there on their mouth parts and they spread it around that way. So, as we've said before, if you've dressed your seed with clothianidin, the deter seed dressing, from the day it emerged, you have about eight weeks protection against BYDV vectors, the aphids. Um, once you get to that eight weeks, stage after emergence you need to count the day degrees add up your average day temperature until you get to 170 and that's when you start thinking about spraying if you can find the aphids out there if you haven't used that deter then from the day the crop emerges that's when you need to be monitoring the aphid pressure in the field uh, and also 
counting those day degrees. And whichever one comes first, that's when you need to react. The unfortunate thing is, with the way that registration and re-registration has gone over the last few years, we've lost most of our insecticide armoury. So we're really just left with pyrethroids in the autumn. Um, and the pressure on those is very, very high. Resistance will build up very quickly. We've already got mace in a lot of the or modified acetylcholinesterase resistant to pyrethroids in the aphid population. So for goodness sake, don't just use them as a routine. Use them if you need to use them because we need to protect those pyrethroids. And also there's no point putting them on if there's no aphids in the field. So I'm finding quite a few at the moment on non-deterred dress fields um, and I have put tickets out there to be done over the last couple of weeks. Um, also while we're on winter wheat, um, if you're finding blackgrass coming through and you've put on your pre-emergence stack and you've had six weeks since you did it, then you can put on another 0.3 of Liberator, for example, to top up that dose. The, the way that works is it has a half-life of about six weeks. So if you put on 0.6, six weeks later, technically there's about 0.3 available. If you put another 0.3 on, it's like putting a, a main dose on once again. So don't waste it. Once again, if you put too much on all in one go, you're going to increase the problems of resistance. They'll, it'll happen much more quickly on your farm. So time it. What I'm seeing, where people have got reasonable seed beds, we've got glyphosate in, we've had a stale seedbed situation on blackgrass farms. There's very little blackgrass out there. But where it is coming through, once you get it to two leaves of the crop, that's when you start to need thing, uh, to think about the Atlantis application. It's going to work far better if the small black grass than if they are big black grass that you're going to leave until March, April, May. So what you want to do is make sure the conditions you put it on in are good. Remember, there's no residual activity, so you've got one go with Atlantis. So make sure the black grass is there in the first place. Get to two leaves, put it onto a dry leaf. Make sure it dries on by at least two hours because the, the less perfect the growing conditions are, the more perfect your application has to be. And that means the dew as well. So if you, need, if you stop spraying at three and the dew's coming down at half Past, you haven't left long enough it needs to be one tank a day if the conditions are like this so put it onto a dry leaf let it dry on by at least a couple of hours make sure you go at 12k maximum forward speed get your boom height at 50 centimeters put it on don't for goodness sake use bubble jets or air induction nozzles and nozzles and use a medium fine quality spray get all those things right and you've got the best chance of doing a good job but do be prepared for the fact that there is resistance in the black grass population to all the sulfonylure is and that includes um, atlantis oilseed rape disease levels not so bad i personally think we're still too warm to put propizamide on um, if you look on the dow website there's a traffic light system put in your postcode it will tell you red amber or green red means don't go amber means get ready to go green means go and soil temperatures are just not cold enough for propizamide to work in oilseed rape plus the canopies are very thick in some of these crops you're aiming at the floor so make sure you get it right um, and just bear in mind if it's warm if it's a big canopy if you're not hitting the target if the soil temperature is too warm lots of sunlight it's going to break down you could lose 15 20 percent of efficacy from the curb why would you want to do that? So just bide your time. All things considered, I think we look pretty good. So let's understand that it's going to be a bit samey on the agronomy report for the next few weeks. But uh, fingers crossed, the crops will look the same as well and they won't get eaten or disappear in the meantime. Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Well, Mother Nature has been kind for those who want it dry. I know it's been overly dry for some, causing dusty conditions on the farm. Is that about to change, though? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. 
Well, no, not really. If anything, uh, it's going to get milder, some mild air coming across. That will mean it will be cloudy, but it should be mostly dry. Today, uh, the last of the chillier days before that mild air moves in, six will be the high today. Patchy cloud, we've got the wind from the west at about 10 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, it will be cloudy. There is the possibility of a shower, but most places should stay dry. Lows about 6 Celsius, so slowly getting milder. The wind from the southwest, 15, maybe gusting at 30 miles an hour. And then that mild air really does come in tomorrow. As I say, it will be cloudy. Highs, though, at 12 Celsius. The wind from the west-southwest, 20, gusting at 35, 40 miles an hour. Staying dry but mild overnight. 9 Celsius for early Tuesday morning. No chance of a frost. Southwesterly breeze, 20 miles an hour, gusting at 24, 25 miles an hour for a time. And then through Tuesday itself, much the same as Monday. Dry but cloudy, 11 will be the high. The wind from the southwest between 15 and 30 miles an hour. Tuesday into Wednesday, another cloudy night, but again staying dry. Temperatures about 9 Celsius. The wind from the south-southwest, 15, gusting at 35 miles an hour. And then it looks like the latter end of the week, more of the same. The possibility of a shower, but it will be quite windy as well by the looks of things at the moment. We're looking at highs, maybe staying in the mid-teens with overnight lows of uh, maybe 10, 11 Celsius. We'll keep a check on the hourly forecast as the week continues. But certainly it looks like uh, those dry conditions are sticking around for uh, some time to come yet. So that's the forecast and uh, another week's farming. Club Hectare is getting a relaunch this week. Good luck with that if you're part of the team. If you're asking what is Club Hectare, all will be revealed on the programme next week, along with uh, whatever else comes out of the Midlands Machinery Show. If you're going, look out for me. Do come and say hello. Until next Sunday, have a good week's farming.